listening to Shoot It Now, your weekly podcast about indie filmmaking and big-budget films with award-winning filmmaker Craig Newland. And welcome to another Shoot It Now podcast. My guest today is a Spanish filmmaker with film credits that include A Single Man, Buried, The Awakening, The Gift, Suffragette, Gringo, Boy Erased, and others. Edu Grau, welcome to Shoot It Now. Thank you. Hello. Good to have you on the show. Now, you're a cinematographer from Spain. You went to film school, but as early as a young boy, your father would take you to art galleries. So the seeds of composition, textures, and light may have been influencing your mind without even knowing it. Perhaps start us off with the art galleries and your father and talk us through film school and short films and how you got this career career going oh wow that's a long story yeah my dad has always been very interested in art probably like more like naturalistic avant-garde or or contemporary you know but so i remember a lot of weekends what we'll do is like me and my sisters will go around galleries with my dad and just appreciate old school you know paintings from all over and museums you know so as early as 13, I was like with my best friend, we both kind of like got really into making films and like wanting to go to film school. And yeah, it just got into my mind when I was 13 and at 18, I joined SCAC, which is like the Barcelona Film School. It was newly created like five years before that, but it was it was just had a lot of really beautiful teachers that like were full of passion and and will to teach you know and not out of experience not out of credits but that kind of energy you know and i learned a lot from that i was like addicted to filmmaking you know and during those four years of film school you know i 20 hours a day of film you know and slept four and then keep going you know that was kind of for a few years that was kind of my vibe and then i I finished from school, you know, I worked with, uh, you know, I did a lot of short films in every department. I I also kind of learned producing, I learned directing at film school, but there was something that stood up above all that was like, you know, cinematography. It was not only the most fun, but also, you know, a great combination of, you know, artistic, enjoyable, very active as well, because you always have to be on the moon you always have to be just like going whereas you know other other things are a lot more like a roller coaster they go up and down you know a cinematographer never stops we call it cooling quieto in spanish it's like you know your ass is never still so i was one of those guys you know so so cinematography kind of fit me and I was not very good at first. Uh, I was not. It was not. I was not born to do this, you know. But uh, but I. It, it just got on my head that I had to do it. I had to work hard, and I worked very very hard. You know, obviously there is a thing things in art that you can learn and can be taught, and some others that know that they are like your steady, your eye, your you know sensibility. I think it was a combination of learning and also just 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 kind of letting loose that creative side of mine, you know, and all these things together. When I came out of film school in Barcelona, I was like, you know, I did a short film as a DP that won in Sundance, like the best short of the year. And, you know, six months later, I did a movie, uh, my first ever movie at 23. 
So I was very lucky, you know, but I also had that energy, that kind of passion that was kind of contagious and, and kind of people fall in love with it. And what I could, didn't know myself about filmmaking or about cinematography, I would just, you know, kind of attitude, I think, at the end of the day. You know, so I, I did my first film at 23. That film ended up being in Cannes. You know, it was like, a, you know, I didn't even get paid. It was like probably like the whole budget of the movie was under 20K. You know, no one got paid in there, but we got into Cannes, you know, which was, it's been a dream of me since, you know, to go back there. And then I, I went to another film school. It was one of those times, you know, like that you feel like, oh, I'm 23. Yeah, I won Sundance that I've had a movie in Cannes, but still have a lot to learn and, and people won't hire me. I'm too young. So I went to film school in London at the National Film and Television School, which was amazing. But there was, it was another thing. It was instead of like learning attitude and passion and the will to kind of do things your own way, it was kind of more like more official, kind of like the more industry related, you know, like kind of this kind of English way of doing things properly, you know. And, but I learned that. I learned English, which is still not very good yet, but we're getting there. And, you know, um, I, I kept growing and growing in two years of film school in London and shooting, basically, because that's how it goes. So the London, two years at London Film School, it sounds like that really honed your organisational skills. And one of the key roles of a cinematographer is to be organised. Yes, a cinematographer can be taken for granted because most of the time a good cine it's a very seamless and fluid process. In other words, cast and crew don't notice the myriad of things a cinematographer is doing day on day. And if you don't have good time management skills, the ability to instruct, guide, schedule, explain the big picture, and people manage behind the camera, if you can't do that, then you won't become a good cinematographer. So Edu, people wanting to move up into the cine's role, what would you tell them about the process of being a well-organized cinematographer? Yes, you have to have your head in a good place in terms of organization, technical aspects. Our job is being a creative, but also being a bit technical, you know? So, but there is no set up rules about how to be a cinematographer. So I've I've seen of DPs that they're total chaos as well, you know, and they, they get along because their creative side takes so much over that it's like, you know, people accept it because you are also allowed to be very creative, you know. Obviously, the greatest is to combine both, you know, to be able to be very creative, but at the same time, a bit organized and, and you know, a leader, there's a bit of responsibility and a bit of organization that, that helps that, you know, everyone in the crew. You know? So everyone gets it the way they can and the way they best they, they can achieve it, you know. So I think it's, it's kind of forgiving being a DP. You can, you can go one side or the other or have them both you know, in a perfect world. So uh, it's not like a producer that needs to be a lot more organized. You know, a DP, there is a bit of it that he's lucky or she's lucky, you know, that we are lucky that 
other people take care of the more organizational stuff. So, you know, it's it definitely helps everyone, but it's not necessarily, I would say, you know. And I want to talk about a single man because I love the way that this was shot, the way it oh. was acted, the aesthetic, everything about this film. And I think you were 27 when you landed this job and had never been to Los Angeles before, which means that to Tom Ford's credit, he took a risk. Is it true that you eventually got the biggest gig of your life, which came down as a result of you talking to a girl at a movie theater? <laughs> yes. Basically, that's, that's more or less how it happened. Yes. Um, basically, I was at, uh, alone at the line at the Edinburgh Film Festival at 12 o'clock at night, and I started talking to you know, the the person next to me who happened to be a producer, you know, she had a movie there and we just started chatting and ha she happened to know a lot of DPs that were my heroes. And, you know, all of a sudden, before we knew it, we just became friends. We, you know, like we hung out, we partied together. Shortly after, I just, um, I visited her in New York a year later and I dropped my DVD reel and Literally five days later, she called me that she had received a call from a friend of hers, producer of Tom Ford's A Single Man, that they were looking for a DP and they've seen all the reels in Los Angeles and they were all too fancy, too flashy, too conventional. And he was looking for someone bold, European style, you know, fun, fast and cheap, you know. And I, because it was like, it was a smallish, you know, $5 million movie. It just all happened very fast. And before I knew it, I was on a plane, you know, reading the script and meeting Tom Ford, you know, and, and that's how it all happened very quickly. So all of a sudden, my life completely changed at 27. That is an incredible story. I don't yeah. believe I don't yeah. believe in fate, but I do believe in timing. And exactly. you never you never know who you're talking to, right? And here exactly. this this opportunity to change your life in an instant uh, yeah. takes place. And you mentioned that Tom Ford was looking for more of a European cine. Obviously, yeah. you shared that similar taste that you talk about. I wonder if this is where your father taking you to those art galleries really starts to bring home the bacon with the way all of this encapsulates and folds into itself. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a good way of watching it, yeah. I also think there is a, a European sensibility that is like, well, we are all from where we come from, you know, and, and there is a European sensibility that is different than an American sensibility or like a New Zealand sensibility, you know, because of all the things that surround your life and, and your day to day, you know, when you grow up, you know. So I think that he was a bit bored of, you know, of the American way of seeing the world. And he was looking for something different. And I was very, very lucky in the right place in the right time because I had a reel that was all short film, shot on 16 mil handheld, very grainy and dark. And my reel had like classical music all over, you know, whereas Everyone was doing flashy, you know, bright, you know, colorful images, you know, as clean as possible. And I just had gone to film school and was doing the opposite. So he saw that and he was like, whoa, this is so different of what I'm seeing that he got really attracted to it immediately. And I was very lucky. And it's you have to find someone like Tom Ford who can take a chance with a 27-year-old 
Spanish guy that never done a movie in America. You know, you have to find someone very ballsy to choose that guy to be his DP on his first feature film. You know, it's it's a lot to his credit as well. I mean, it's it's amazing. You know, the the attitude you have to and the confidence you have to have in yourself to choose someone like that. You know, and I would like to know how many directors out there are, are you know would be happy to make such a bold choice. You know, on their first movie. You know, in Hollywood, like a five million dollar movie. A lot of respect for Tom and, you know, and what you were saying, you know, my my granddad always used to say that everyone gets a chance in life to choose or to change their life. You know, always there is always that moment that comes that if you if you go that path or you go the other one, your life will change forever. But he always says that there's only certain people that have, you know, they are in the right set of mind to to take that choice to to go for it you know and 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 to do the right moves so the the life goes in the right path and i think that's all about uh, there is also a bit of that you know i was in the right time in the right place but then i was also in my mind was perfectly aligned for that moment you know i was like i got ready and i just like i was ready to go for it you know i and i just took out took off the fear of my shoulders and i just like you know what let's go for it let's 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 try to make it let's let's do what i know even if it's not enough i'll do it the best i can and i think that end up working out you know yeah for sure how many other directors do this i would say very very few you are one of probably uh-huh. a handful that you can count in history on one hand most yeah first-time directors, particularly in somebody like a Tom Ford that has the ability to bring in somebody that has a lot more experience, he didn't do it. The film varied. If there is ever a challenge to a cinematographer, this has to be the Everest of challenges of them all. Uh, To shoot around a box, a coffin, I heard that a red was considered, but you shot on 35 millimeter film and just the dirt alone, if for just one reason to shoot on film, then it would have to be the dirt element. Yes. I mean, Barry was like, you know, one of those films that you receive, someone tells you the idea, oh yeah, it's a movie in a coffin, and you're like, uh, that's, that cannot be true, that cannot be good. You know, and then suddenly you read the script and it was like so moving and such a roller coaster of emotions that you're like, okay, you know, that's once in a lifetime opportunity to do a movie in a coffin. You know, it's, it, there's no, I cannot think of a smaller space to do a, a movie, you know. So it was like, yeah, I think I should do it. I had other offers in the, in the table at that point, but I was like, there's only one coffin movie in, in, in history, you know, and I think I should do it. And then we, you know, Rodrigo is a super clever, talented director with a vision, you know, and we were like looking for it. We tested, it was the early stages of digital. We tested the red and suddenly it was like, you know, we're film guys. We like it, but also make cha- makes sense in the in the respect that it's like the grain, the texture, it felt more organic, more alive, it held dirtier, it felt more like in tune with with the dust of the desert, you know, that we we're trying to represent. You know, it just felt more right. But needless to say, it was a lot more stressful. You know, those, you know, a zippo light in a coffin, it's not the easiest thing, you know, it's like it's it's not not it's not the brightest thing, let's say it. So 
it was pretty scary to shoot, you know, sometimes. It was pretty, you know, I lost a lot of her uh, on that movie, you know. <laughs> I suffered a lot. But I always think that that you have to take choices. You have to take, you know, you have to take, you have to make choices. You have to take chances, you know. And I think the stronger your choices, the more difficult and riskier, I think, the more pleasure they give you in, in, as, a, as a result, you know. And that was a, a good choice. That was one of those that, like, making a movie in a coffin on 35, it just, it just remains as one of my ultimate favorite movies that I've done, you know, because the challenge was so enormous that I think, you know, when I watch it, I still, like, wow, how did we do that? You know, <laughs> because I've erased how we did it, but it's just like the result is there. And it's like, I'm still surprised at what, what we did. But I think it's really, really fun to watch. And Ryan Reynolds is not just acting, but he is also working with you on the lighting for the whole film, it seems to me, because he's holding the light source. So it becomes a bit of a dance between you and Ryan Reynolds. Is that how that worked out in terms of lighting the coffin? Yeah, I mean, I always say that Ryan was my, my gaffer on that movie, almost. Yeah. You know, it's like there was so, you know, he he's a, an amazing guy, a really skillful actor, you know, and he took a chance on that movie. You know, it was a small $1 million movie in a coffin in Spain, and suddenly, you know, he just went there because he wanted to be challenged as an actor, and he proved that he was one of, it's one of those actors that they have it. They have the face, but also the the acting skill, you know. it's I, I was very, very impressed, and believe me, I work with a lot of talented actors, and Ryan really impressed me, you know, and so it was very fascinating working with him because he was also very, he could be very technical. You could tell him, look, in that moment, just point the torch in this direction and it bounces you and it just, you know, and it looks like this. And then in this sentence, just go here. So, and he would, I and mean, he would be crying on that scene and he would still do it exactly like you said it in the words you said it and it was it was pretty amazing you know to see that you know obviously when you have an actor like that you can you're you can be more playful you can you know filmmaking is a team playing you know and you need the actors you need every single member of the crew to be on the same you know on the same road you know in this going the same direction you know so the more people there are on that road you know going in in, in the director's vision the better is the result so it was a joy you know working with with that crew in that movie you know and we all felt we we're doing something special and we raised to to the ambition you know Somebody like uh, Ryan has done so many films, he probably knows just as much as what a gaffer knows. So, you know, the, the language he understands. Um, I want to come back to confidence. A, a cinematographer needs confidence. Sometimes that means following your gut, risking something where the outcome might not be obvious from the outset, but you follow your instincts and just go for it, which reminds me of your film suffragette because you took a chance working on 16 millimeter film of course digital was available but being instinctive and coming back to the confidence i talk about you went for it and shot on 16 millimeter and the resulting look of this period piece is achieved by stepping outside your comfort zone 
Is that the way that you see it? Yeah, totally. I mean, there is there's a bit of that. There is also, I think it's every story tells you the way it has to be shot or it could be shot, you know, and I saw, you know, the possibility here with Sarah Gavron, the director, that, you know, we didn't want him to, to be in the old fashioned, you know, BBC drama look, you know, we wanted to step it up, we'd be a bit more risky, just, you know, to play to be a bit more playful. And we just decided that going 16 was more suitable for the suffragette. If the suffragettes could choose the format, they would shoot 16, you know what I mean? There's something small and revolutionary and fast and, you know, there's something aggressive about the grain. There's something beautiful about the texture, you know? So so we just went that route and it just um, happened that it, it, I think it, you know, on the first day of the shoe, we we're like, wow, the way that choice changed the movie was pretty beautiful to see. It just made us more mobile, more free and uh, more playful as well, you know. So, you know, we were with small zooms on 16 mil, you know, shooting and, you know, two cameras moving around. And it was uh, a beautiful ballet to see, to you know, to, to see us working in that movie. You know, I, I enjoy it a lot, you know, as, a, as an experience. Then we tested and the night scenes were a bit too grainy on 16. So we, we combined it with Alexa, you know, fucking it up as much as we can uh, for the night scenes, you know. So um, I think it, overall it was like 60 or 70 percent of it was on film, you know. So sometimes you have to make choices. You have to have a, an attitude. And again, you know, you might lose some hair. You may get some, you know, white hairs. You're closer to reaching happiness. You know, the more you risk it, the, the more pleasure or the more alive you feel making movies, you know. And that was a beautiful lesson to keep learning, you know. And when you are looking through the lens, you as a cinematographer, as you say, you're looking for interesting composition that will help tell the story, help propel the story. Sometimes you don't know when it will be found in that moment of looking for it, but when the idea, an interesting visual that helps tell the story comes along, you know it instantly. Do you think that some people overanalyze what a cine looks for when they're looking through through the lens, like setting up some framing and using formulas instead of just being instinctual and following your gut intuition? Yes, I I, I think a bit like this, you know, that, that we need, you know, yeah, that you need to find something, that you need to keep looking and then suddenly it's just like, it screams at you like, oh, this is right, this feels right, you know? And I think that's a lot of the ways how I operate. It is very useful to prepare. It is very useful to have a plan. Concepts are always welcome. You know, at the end of the day, are one of the most important things of filmmaking, you know, having a concept. But also there is something about, you know, finding it, you know, looking for it, keep looking for it, and then suddenly stumble into, you know, into it, you know, just suddenly find it. There is also something to be said about that in filmmaking, you know, and... I I always when I'm shooting I keep saying you know like let's let's shoot and learn you know let's or like you know let's rehearse and learn you know like, let's let's do it let's try it and, and and learn something and just change it and make it better and because I think it's 
is there's so many decisions you need to make to do a good shot, you know, that it's like sometimes, and some of them are luck. Some of them are like, are not, you know, something that you can even think or, or, or prepare before because it's something that it happens on the moment in the place where you are at that certain time, you know? So it's like, you need to keep looking. Look, you need to have your eyes, your ears open and ready to catch that thing that makes that shot, that moment special, that scene special, you know? So, and it, everyone is involved in this search. That's, those are the sets that I enjoy the most. When, you know, when the actors, the director, the sound guy, the art department, we're all looking for something, you know, we're all working together. And then when you find it, it's like, wow, you know, that was unique. That was fascinating. That's, that's why we love doing our job, you know. And another one of your films, The Gift, currently streaming on Netflix, uh, directed by Joel Edgerton, who is such a thoughtful, nuanced director. Uh, being a great actor doesn't hurt either. What I really like about this film is the pacing of it. It's not heavy with dialogue and has the right amount of information. It's economical with what it's wanting to do. I rewatched the film last night because of our interview this morning. And it looks to me like you are very comfortable, settled, very relaxed. You know everything that you need to do, what you need to achieve. Shooting around the house, you seem to be doing that with ease. Did you feel particularly comfortable on this this film? There's a maturity when you keep making films uh, that it comes with time, you know, obviously. But it was a a tricky film, you know, was Joel's first film, you know, he's always been a really good uh, actor, but, you know, it was a lot of unknowns on that film. It was like a very fast pacing, 23-day shoot movie, you know, and it was like a lower budget than I was doing, but and I, I didn't have my usual crew either. So it was kind of, well, no, some of, some of it I had. I find it interesting that you that you see it as a as a very you know settled movie. I, I I think I was a bit on the edge, and I think I know what you're saying. There's a bit more of the confidence. Uh, it was yes. more Hitchcockian. It was more Hitchcockian in the way it was done and shot, you know, and and that's what I was looking for. We were looking for, you know, like. It was a contemporary version of a movie of the 90s, like Fatal Attraction, you know, mixed with Hitchcock and mixed with Joel's vision, you know. So it's like it was a, a, combin- a strange combination of things that made it what it is. It's a movie I really like because it's very enjoyable. It's like you watch it and it's like it's the way it delivers information, the way it moves along, the the way it surprises you when you are more settled and you think you know where that movie is, surprises you the most, you know? So I it's a movie I, I enjoy a lot. And again, it was, you know, it was also luck to find Joel. You know, I was doing a short film with a friend and then they introduced me to Joel, you know, who was, you know, the brother of one of the actors, Nash, you know? So... And when I met him, it was that kind of feeling of, wow, I wish I could be friends with a guy like this. He seems so down to earth. He's so truthful, honest, nice, sweet, you know, that it's it's just a pleasure to be around people like this, you know. And and he turned out to be exactly like that and a joy to be work to, to work with and very clever. You know, he knew everything he needed to know about filmmaking you know he it was not like he was a first-time director and knew a lot 
because he understands the medium. He understands what's at stake, what's important, you know, what makes it special, you know. So it was uh, working with Joe was a pleasure. And you obviously like working with him because you did the film Boy Erased and you decided to shoot on digital rather than film because you had a reasonable sized cast and some actors that didn't have a lot of big film experience. But there was a trade off when you shot on film all the exterior shots and used an Alexa for the digital inside shots. Not the first time that you've done that. I yeah. haven't heard heard of this really happening uh, to a great extent. The great thing with an Alexa is that you can dial in that film look so the matching isn't yeah. miles apart. And the fact that you have separated the interior and exterior shots helps a lot anyway. It's a really creative option, which as a viewer, one would never detect, although the film geeks now are going to rush to go and have a look at the, the film again. How satisfying, <laughs> though, was that for you to be able to do that? Well, I mean, uh, from our initial conversations, we wanted to shoot Boy Race on film, you know, but then because we wanted that, you know, that a slightly more periody look, but also like, you know, again, going back to the texture, to the feeling of like being more grounded and more earthy, you know, and we like that. But also we realized that we had a lot of kids that they needed a lot of attention and time and and sometimes film gets a, it's less fast in the in sense of you need to reload and things like that, you know. So less, I, I don't know, beautiful to shoot on the Alexa is normally like the exterior daytimes, you know, because that's when the highlights get a bit more, you know, not as interesting and, and the color gets a bit off. And so we just went that path, the path that, you know, shooting on film, the exteriors too, so we could set the look for the interiors, you know, and and be a bit more seamless, you know. You know, it was a decision, not the first time, but obviously it was it was annoying for production because we had to carry both, you know, all the cameras and, and the film and so on. But it just turned out to be it was good. I think uh, I like it. I I think there is a couple of scenes that could have been better on film, but I'm happy. I'm happy setting the tone and the look and the texture of film and then we kind of got the Alexa closer to it afterwards you know so that was kind of an approach was the approach and I think we did okay you know I was not I'm not 100% convinced or or happy with the result but you know I think that the thought was there and you know sometimes you have to try and to go somewhere you know and to not do the usual I think that's where it came from. I want to get your take on where we are right now in terms of resolutions. Uh, there are films being shot in 8K. Then, like it or not, we have these televisions that have such a high nit rating. The average nit seems to be around five to 600 nits, but there are televisions that are over 1,000 nits, which means that everything is getting brighter and brighter. There is this generation that is born into these high resolution television screens and if this younger generation doesn't go to the cinema they will never see the contrasting difference of an aesthetic filmmaking look so how much does that worry you as a cinematographer yes it's a great question i think i'm coming from that amazing time where there was a mixture between digital and film you know where there was different looks, different aesthetics that you could go for and you could find. 
you know, using your the, the different mediums, you know, and the different projecting mediums also. You know, it was different your TV that go into a cinema thirty five, and then it came the digital cinema. I think you know whatever it's like more possibilities, more creative possibilities to create a look. It's always good, and I also think that you know we are a bit over obsessed about resolution. You know, I don't think that this 4K is necessarily more beautiful than it one that is 1K. You know, I don't think it's necessarily better. Yeah, it's a bigger number. 4K, 8K, it's great. Yeah, you think it's going to be some things that I don't need to see. You know, I don't need to see the the pores of the skin of the actor. I don't need to see it. I, I'm better with a softer look at, at the and it. It's, it's like saying that because you see more cleaner and more perfect uh, on a painting, that, you know, it's better than a Pizarro or a Monet. It's just like, it's not. It's not. You know, the resolution, it's not necessarily better for an image. It's not necessarily the path. But yes, I understand they need to sell TVs, they need to sell, you know, they need to keep the audience buying stuff and that's why we are over obsessing about these things and believing that, you know, it's better. But it's not necessary. We are, I I am pretty sure that if you will put an audience in front of an 8K and a 2K, some of them would not see the difference. And some of them will prefer the 8K and some of them hopefully will also prefer the 2K, you know? So I think it's like, I think it has to be like this. It has to be a subjective thing. It has to be a perceptional thing. It does, it cannot be, you know, a technical, oh yeah, 8K is definitely better than 2K, you know? Not exactly like this. So I think we need to keep our, our minds open. Of course, there are images that you prefer to see in 8K because, you know, you see more the detail, but some others, not necessarily. I think um, every project, you know, every viewer should find their own opinion. You're right to say that it's all about selling televisions because it's down to... <laughs> It's down to marketing because they've exactly. been selling they've been selling the 4K televisions for a number of years, and now that is yeah. deemed old marketing spin. Yeah. So now they're pushing yeah. the 8K televisions, and the exactly. forecast is that we are going to have 20,000 nits in the future, which you might as well be staring at the sun. It's going to be so bright. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, and, and I get it. I get it. It's it's. But I don't know if, like the, you know, if if the human eye, you know, needs that much information sometimes, you know. But it's, you know, again, I think it's like, I think it's opinions. I think it's like, you know, subjective, you know, viewing, you know, and everyone should choose what is best and not, you know, be mind blown or, you know, by by the number, AK being better than two K for sure. Right? It's not. And what's on the horizon for you at the moment? Have you got anything in post, uh, anything that's coming up? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, just before the pandemic, uh, The Way Back came out, you know, the Ben Affleck movie that I'm pretty happy with. And then now it's like uh, passing the movie that Rebecca Hall directed, her first movie as a director, you know, with Tessa Thompson and Ruth Negga is coming out the next year. It's, it's coming for the awards, I hope. It's a black and white movie shot on 4.3, 
aspect ratio. So completely different from anything I've done before. So I'm very, very excited. It's I think it's a really good movie, actually. Edu, it's been a great conversation with you to discover all sorts of things about you as a young boy going to the art gallery with your father and to talking to girls in cinemas that led to your first breakout, <laughs> breakout feature. Uh, I'm certainly looking forward to seeing what comes next. And thanks very much today for coming on to Shoot It Now. Thank you so much. An absolute pleasure. You've been listening to Shoot It Now with Craig Newland, your weekly podcast about all things behind the camera and in front of it. Until next time, have a great week. Thank you.